and welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Basca, and myself and Rabia Satabi had the pleasure of sitting down with Jesse Blanchard, director of the puppeteer gore fest known as Frank and Zed. We absolutely adored your film, Frank and Zed, which was really murder puppets, which is a thing we've been going on about for a very long time. <laughs> and to see it come true was just magical. Yes. Oh, good. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. I am bowled over by how long it took you to make it. You say six years in the opening credits, but then on IMDb, it said seven years. Yeah, it's one of those like it's kind of it's creeping into kind of like embarrassing how long it's taken so i'm kind of like yeah it's like the third anniversary of six years in the making <laughs> you know so i'm kind of oh my god yeah yeah it's like so yeah it's like w- when do you start and when do you end it's you know so yeah about six years it's, take, it's taken a while but it's like wow. you know there's still stuff that i'm likely to do you know kind of little things here and there and and not to mention finishing the discs and blu-ray etc so it's just like you know when do you count so i I think i need to settle on six years and just kind of (laughs) well it seems like you already have since you put it in the movie Mm -hmm. Um, yeah it's been a minute it's like um you know at one point it's like you know it's like 15 percent of my life or something crazy like that (laughs) you know like a chunk a chunk of time that is a lot. And let, let, let's start at the beginning. How did you come to the idea to do like, I want to do a puppet movie and I want it to be gory, but I want it to be heartwarming and I want the puppets to look good and have special effects at the same time. You know, all of that was like, I didn't really see doing it another way, honestly. I mean, maybe that's kind of strange, but I watched so much Henson films Obviously, that's like a huge inspiration. And it was only after the movie that I started to think like, oh, you know, I think the tone and kind of the way Henson treated all the characters is real and like the environments as being like really realistic, etc. I think I kind of was like, oh, that's what I want to do. So I wasn't intentionally, you know, I mean, there's there's many places where I am intentionally ripping him off, of course. And then that I think was this unintentional kind of just absorption because I really didn't see it any other way in terms of like kind of that bits of the tone. And then for the guts and the gore and all that stuff, I I mean, why make a, why make a horror film if you're not going to show that stuff? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. what people, I mean, that's what I want to see. That's what's like funny. You know, I'm like kind mm-hmm. of that classic horror person that's like a bit squeamish in real life. And then if it's on film though, I'm like, yeah, let's, let's see it, you know? And so, to me, I was like, that. there's no other way. You know, like some people said, like, why wouldn't they have fluff in them? And I'm like, why? why <laughs> like, that's not, it's so much funnier. If it's like, it's so much more fun. That's why. I'm like, that's, that's the whole point. Like, let's have fun. True. Yeah. And True. actually, you know, it makes me think of some other films that I've seen where you have like these beautiful body horror pieces where you either do see fluff or you see gore plus fluff. I don't know if you know Christiana Chagovsky's Blood Tea and Red String. No, something no. you've ever seen. I highly recommend it. It's a stop motion animation that is just lovely, specifically about anthropomorphic creatures that are having a tea party that is particularly grotesque and lovely. Huh? But I think it would be your bag. But oh, cool. 
But it's interesting to see body horror in puppetry. And I frequently have conversations with people about, yes, it's still body horror if it's puppets. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, had, I had an impassioned debate about this at one time. But, but I wonder how hard it was to find your funding. I saw that you had two Kickstarter campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I just wondered, what was that process like? I mean, it's Kickstarter has been amazing. Um, and it's also like a ton of work, you know? So, um, you know, we work very, very hard for all the people who backed the film and supported the film. And so, so it was like, it was really a great way to kind of bring the project out. And we got a lot of support. We had like a very strong response. Um, and also, you know, trying to do things for the backers and make it like really inclusive and have like lots and lots of cool stuff is also a challenge. Like right now I've got a bunch of stills from the film that I've signed and the ink won't dry, like wears off. And that's, oh no. Yeah. It's just like, and that's just one of the silly minutia kind of things of, of, of what it takes to kind of like do a Kickstarter campaign. But you know, so it was one, you know, it was nowhere near enough money to make the film. And it was also enough money to make the film. Like we made the film, you know? So <laughs> it's, it's like, um, but really the response, I mean, the response was so strong in our first Kickstarter campaign, you know, um, we more than doubled what the, I think we, yeah, more than doubled the original kind of budget for the film. And that really helped us elevate the project. Um, you know, it went, you know, it's nowhere near kind of the, the, time and effort that went into it but it was still like so helpful just unbelievably helpful it seems like you had a tremendous groundswell of support on the internet for this project that is just such incredible world building yeah thank you it's i mean that's what's like that's why you do it or at least that's why i do it it's like so fun to kind of you know it's always like it's a duality it's always like work you know like one of my favorite and 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 frequently like my favorite pieces are the ones that like at some point I didn't want to do like the opening is a great example. So the stained glass behind me, originally the film opened with kind of a beauty and the beast. You see this stained glass and the narrator mm-hmm. just tells you what's happening. And it was just boring. I was like, Ugh, who cares? You know? And so I was like, well, we have to show the Maroi attack. We have to show the God of death. You know, and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do all that stuff. And that's the reason we did this stained glass, because I was like, I don't know how we're going to do it. Um, But then it becomes like really fun. Like you kind of take all these little problems and say like, okay, we got to do them like one at a time. Like how how can we do this one little thing? Um, And you do it and and it becomes, you know, that's a big part of the enjoyment. Really with me, the trick with the world building is I just had to leave so much stuff out. It got really the film, you know, the hardest thing with the film for me was like what's rich and what's confusing and trying mm-hmm. to find a balance between something that's going to be really like a world that's going to be really fun in, but not overwhelm the Frank and Zed story. That was the other thing that was a real challenge. And I ended up actually having to cut a lot of stuff out because I was like, you know, the film's Frank and Zed and that's the heart of the film. And their story is like a very simple story. It's told with no dialogue. So I got to turn the volume down on a lot of stuff so that they can actually kind of breathe a little bit. Um, and so in fact, like this guy behind me, um, there was originally like a, a world building thing where there was these like two different gods. Um, 
it was like super fun in the village and all this other stuff. But I was like, man, it's just too much. It's just way too much. So, but mm-hmm. I'm excited to, to share that I'm writing a series of these short story prequels to Frank and Zed. Um, the first is, or actually the first two are done and they're going to be sneaking out, but we're going to have a chance to explore this world a little bit further. Cause there's a lot in the kind of universe of Frank and Zed that I would, I would love to, to play, play with. Oh, we would love to see more of that universe. I have to say, Frank and Zed, they're just the cutest couple. <laughs> Did you draw inspiration anywhere particularly to set them up? Because like you said, there is no dialogue between them, but they are hands down my favorite characters. And they have just such a sweet interaction throughout the movie. Yeah, thank you. I don't, you know, I didn't consciously take anything from their relationship, you know, it um, originally it was like a little darker and in the, and as I was writing and writing, writing, I kind of, it felt braver to me to make their relationship like really sweet. That felt like riskier and I think more dangerous, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to be like, you know what, I'm going to like put my heart on the sleeve and make, try and make something like really sweet and really tender mm-hmm. and also like really gross. And that's what... <laughs> I started to kind of zero in on like, and, and so for instance, the sewing scene was a scene I was just like so passionate about and so excited from the very beginning. I mean, that was like that really kind of, that's where I kind of found the movie. I was like, this is what the movie is about. You know, these Mm -hmm. these monsters, like just trying to figure it out. And Yeah. uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, what I did with both of them, you know, aesthetically was I was trying to push them apart you know, that Frank is going to be this guy that's just weighed down. Things are just globbed and nailed to him and stapled. And instead, it's supposed to be that he's just like worn thin, worn, 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 worn thin. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to do that, but I think a bit of the heart of the characters, I'm not really sure where that came from. That just, it was, it's one of those things where you just feel, you know, them and you don't really know Mm -hmm. from where, like, I don't know. That's what Frank, that's what Frank does. (laughs) You know, that's who he is, you know? Yeah, there's something in their character design that just makes them so appealing that the moment you you see them on the screen, you instantly know, okay, these are these are guys we're going to be rooting for throughout this movie. And it works. It had me following them throughout the whole film. And you just mentioned that you're doing more with the world building in shorts. There was a little short in the screener that we got to see. And it was so effective. So if you're saying you're doing more shorts, I cannot wait because with the light and the barbershop Cortez singing and then the shine the light on me. Oh, my God. That was so good. So if that is any indication of how well paced and effective your other shorts are going to be, I am looking forward to it. Let me just say that. Yeah, definitely. Thank Thank you. I'm, I'm really glad you like shine because you know, that was the first short I did when I first got the idea to do puppets. I was like, all right, I'm going to do a short film and just as a test and see how it goes. And mm-hmm. so um, I'd always wanted to do like a barbershop horror film. I thought that would be like so funny. And so I wrote that and then um, just put an ad on Craigslist. And that's where I connected with Jason Rop, my lead puppeteer, who's just, you know, the most talented person I know. I mean, he's just phenomenal. And we did shine and it was like so much fun that we started doing more stuff. So that, that that's really what kind of kicked it all off. That's amazing. Like I said, it, it really convinced me, but especially because it's such a short film, 
but it manages to convey so much terror and trill from puppets. You can see the terror that they're going through knowing what will happen when that light stops shining on them. And it was so effective that, yeah, that just really, really captured me. In the first few moments, I had not even seen Frank and Zed yet, but that was as an intro that really got me in the mood for the rest of the film. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm so glad. We were watching together and we were both very excededly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, cool. That's so uh, glad you're able to share it. Definitely. It's really phenomenal what you've been able to do. And especially also looking at all of the incredible practical effects that are so hard to manage logistically when you spray blood everywhere and then you have to do multiple takes and how that all works and the actual fire and the clouds. I want to know everything. For the film, I always wanted, you know, it's all an illusion, right? And the goal, the goal is that people forget that it's puppets, that they actually just see characters. Like that's what we're always pushing for. And so I want everything to be as real as possible. So for instance, like you don't see to the best of our ability, you don't see any puppeteers, you don't see any of the mechanisms, you know, it's all hidden, all to kind of have that illusion of, of life. And so with the practical effects, I was like, well, here's a place where like, that's real life. Like it's, you know, if it's a real liquid kind of squirting out, like we get to see that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge, especially for me, because I would say like the camera turns the volume down on everything. So if you're like screaming, and this is what I was always telling everybody on set, like more blood, more blood, like you, you know, all of the sound is done in post because all of the shots are so intricate that I'm actually kind of talking to the actors and the puppeteers and everyone's talking, the camera's talking in order to get everything kind of in sync. And whenever there's a blood effect, it's, it's almost, it's almost always me screaming like more blood, more, more, more. (laughs) And in fact, like I could never get enough blood until I finally found this pump that you use to like empty out a basement when it gets flooded. And and it's just like, you boom, boom like this. But even that thing's weird because it pumps on the upstroke so it's just kind of this bizarre thing where you like pump and the blood shoots out. But what's, what's great is like, even when it's just off a little bit, it's more organic, it's more compelling, you know? Um, yeah. The practical effects were like super fun, you know? And then, um, you know, and then things like the, the clouds, you know, what happened there is um, we tried, I had a, a very talented visual effects person who's done lots of, big budget Netflix stuff, et cetera. But he's just like one guy kind of doing nights and weekends. And he started on a cloud. He spent like three days on a, on a big storm. And it's just way better than I could ever do. But it just, I was like, this is just not going to cut it. It's going to take people out of the film. And I was like, all right, we have to do this practical storm. And so what I started to do is get a bunch of um, vintage special effects books from like the 50s, 60s, and 70s and just went through them and found all these old techniques, like, you know, forced perspective, where you have a bit of the set kind of close to the camera. And then one of them was what's called um, a cloud tank. And to do that, what you do is you, you fill an aquarium with salt water. You make basically uh, a heavy uh, saltwater solution for the bottom. And then you fill the top with fresh water. And if you do it very slowly, you'll have, they, they don't mix. And then you can squirt a liquid into this and the liquid will stay on top of the saline solution. So, so you actually get that cloud effect. And like, that's how I did the cloud. 
And so it's like really beautiful and I'm like really happy with it. But you know, the price you pay is like, it takes four hours to set that up and you get one shot. That's about three seconds. And you have to light something and you have to focus on something that's not there. Right. And so I did all those shots just by myself. And it's literally like me hitting record and then squirting the liquid in and then flashing all the lights and just crossing my fingers that it works, you know? Oh so my it's like, gosh. yeah, it's, you know, and then I wonder like, it took so long. Yeah, and that's what's so hard. You have to find the aquarium. Like you got the aquarium. Well, you have to drill, like I had to drill a hole in glass. And those are the kind of questions that you're hitting. Like, how do I drill a hole in glass? Cause I got to drain this aquarium and it's too heavy to dump out. So it's just going to take too long. So, and then even like you set the aquarium up and there's bubbles on the side. You're like, okay, how do I get these bubbles off? So you have these, like, there's just these relentless problems that you're looking to solve. But the benefit is you do this crazy process, you end up in a different place. And that's one of the things I really, I never did intentionally, but now it, um, now I think one of the things that I like about the film is that it's a different film because the process just forces you. You just can't, you can't, I can't, you know, anyways, but that's, yeah, it's a little silly, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Brilliant. It shows the love and attention you put into it. Oh, thank you. Definitely, definitely. You can tell that this is not something that's been done on the fly real quick, quick. There is the passion. (laughs) It comes through, through the screen. It it feels like the same level as a Henda movie, definitely. Yeah, it was a joy to watch. I have a question about the story. Yeah. So you have the orgy of blood, the one, the, the, the big thing that we're, the, you know, that's announced at the start, like there will be a price and it is the orgy of blood. Uh-huh. And when that orgy comes, <laughs> you did not hold back. Let's say that. But it was amazing because some of the characters that bit the bullet basically or ate the axe in this case (laughs) were some of the characters like no he's not gonna kill them right because they were funny and then no 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 you really went for a lot of heads and they were bleeding i mean that was so hilarious at the same time as being shocking as for some of those characters to die on screen did you have a kill list like okay by the end of the movie i need these to be these characters to be to be goners apart from the ones that we would really expect to be like the the evil priest yeah yeah i mean i basically thought like i was like everyone's gonna die like everyone well it's actually (laughs) this was like everyone's gonna get bit right then they're gonna die as a human then they're gonna die Mm -hmm. as a zombie and they have to die in a very specific order like Mm -hmm. you know they have to kind of work it has to work up the food chain, you know, like yeah. they have to die in a specific order. They have to get bit, kind of attacked. So coming up with the flow was really tricky. You know, I mean, there was a couple things like I knew, like the other thing from the writing was, uh, you know, the black character, even I was like, okay, with him, he's going to get as close to death as possible, right in the beginning as possible. But I was like, I'm not going to do the horror trope of the black guy getting killed. I'm going to get as close as possible to that. And then he is going to kind of like kick ass with his bare hands. So it was really, you know, so that was like kind of how like a lot of the writing was tackled. Um, but I was like, no, nah, everybody's got to, I was like, I want to see everybody die. They all have to die a different death. You have to see all the weapons get used. And then on top of that, I had a whole like list 
of stuff, like basically like battle cliches that I felt I had to see. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to destroy everything that meant something to Frank and Zed. So like Frank's chair gets destroyed. Frank's axe gets destroyed. Yeah. The grinding wheel gets used. The window gets destroyed. The tower gets destroyed. The gears get pulled down. So that was, it was really, you know, it really, I mean, the orgy of blood, even though it's 30 minutes long, it was what I felt was the minimum list. It was like, just, I mean, and if you think about it, I mean, everything is, is just one shot. Like <laughs> yeah. all the characters have to die three times or they have to get bit killed as a human and then killed as a zombie. And so it just, you know, but yeah, it was like, um, it's <laughs> ridiculous. I was like, no one is going to make it through. That was the fun part because you know something is coming. And then when it comes and everybody gets bit, killed, double killed, and just it keeps just hitting you with the kill after kill after. And then, oh, this is now a weapon. Oh, we're grabbing this from the wall. And this is this is getting smashed. And I was just sitting there giddy and texting Ariel going like, this is amazing. I love this so much because <laughs> I had no idea what to expect of a puppet orgy of blood. And it, it delivered in ways I did not even know I, I needed it to deliver on. So uh, kudos on that. Well, thank you. That's so wonderful to hear. Really, it was such a delight to watch this film and to become so deeply invested in this goofy fantasy horror that just absolutely ticked every box for us. So, oh, that's so that's so indeed. I'm so glad you guys liked. It. I'm curious. What did you think? What what were? What did you think it would be? I'm I'm so curious. Or was it different from what you expected? Well, I was actually told by multiple people that I should check this out as mm-hmm. soon as possible, as soon as I could. People who know that I am interested in murder puppets, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, so it's going to be about a Frankenstein creature and a zombie. And I imagined in my head some sort of like putting on the Ritz routine between Frankenstein and zombie and... It was very, very much more than I ever imagined. I was just hoping for a lot of blood and (laughs) and but still cute puppets, because I think the juxtaposition between the two, like something fluffy, but then being put in a situation of gore is the best thing ever. So I was sitting down with an open mind as like, okay, let's see what they're doing. Is this Muppets getting killed? Is this like a, a zombie invasion? What are we going to get? And like I said, I was already roped in with that short of shine at the start. I was like, oh my God, we're seeing cut off toes. And this guy just lost his arm and it's there is blood spraying people. <laughs> And so the I was like, sliding in the blood. Oh, you know? yeah. Oh, my the God. The slip and slide is the thing I've always wanted. You know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it delivered on all the needs that we had for blood and puppets combined. So uh, all in all, I watched it with a big grin on my face. Oh, good. Ah, that makes me so happy. Thank you so much for this wonderful interview. And I'm so glad we got a chance to sit down and talk with you. Yes. This is one of our highlights from the festival so far. So, indeed. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you know, this is as independent as it gets, you know. Yeah. Totally self funded, et cetera. So, you know, helping to get the word out and kind of let people know about the film is just really phenomenal. 
you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, that's just like, it's so incredibly helpful to have, you know, people like you kind of spreading word about this project. It gets Frank and Zed kind of out of the shadows and maybe connects it with other people that, you know, who, who like you might have an affinity for some puppets and some gore. Indeed, indeed. And if you ever plan on switching careers, I would say the gore puppet stained glass business. I mean, I would order a door or two or like a whole frame of what's behind you and the stuff that's used in the movie as well, because they were so cool. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, it was like, um, yeah, the stained glass is like a lot of fun. In fact, I actually have happen to have right here when we did the stained glass. We drew it all with paper and we had like old school cut and paste. So you can see, I don't know if you can see here, but it's actually, it's all just like drawn on paper. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then cut out and taped over and yeah, the stained glass is like really fun. When we first did the stained glass, the first time we did stained glass, so I'll just tell you one, one quick story. So when I finished filming Frank and Zed, I was like, I'm sick of rocks. We're going into the village. It's got to be something different than these rocks. Right. So I was like, I know, let's do stained glass. And I always wanted to do sugar stained glass, right? Or sugar glass, because it's like really organic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So this really talented artist named uh, Aaron Camella made this sugar stained glass. It was like gorgeous. And, you know, she spent like two days doing it, just doing these kind of round circles. We put it up on set, turned the lights on. And this is in the scene where the king's dying. And the lights start to melt the glass. And it starts to like sag. Oh, no. Yeah, already got a bunch of shots. I'm like, ah! So we're filming as fast as we can. In between takes, we're putting up like cardboard and stuff, just trying to keep the stained glass from like falling out. And in fact, if you look at the movie now, you can even see there's a bunch of pins around the stained glass to like keep it in there. And so we finally finish and then it just like collapses like as soon as we're done. And so I was like, all right, we're doing stained glass, but we've got to come up with another technique. So that was one of the fun things do is like coming up with a way to do our own stained glass to really bring mm-hmm. the um the village to life wow that's film in a nutshell right it's the process of your heart breaking and then coming up with the magic last minute right yeah yeah exactly like i always said like we're doing like gorilla animation and we are i mean it took forever but every day you're sprinting as fast as you can i mean you're, you're just moving as fast as you can to get like a shot you know because the other thing with the film is like most of the days like you're building the set and filming on the same day like it's you're just going 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 so fast but yeah but yeah i mean and that's that's like part of the fun and and part of the the joy and 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 one of the big lessons i learned was to just kind of embrace that that's going to happen like you, you prepare as much as you can like i storyboard everything i really prepare like really exhaustively and then also you step on set and go like it's and it might not work you know, as hard as it just might, sometimes it does, but frequently it just doesn't work. And then you're like, okay, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? How do we make this, you know, like how, how do we, how do we get this shot? What are we going to do? You did it. You did it. And it's fantastic. Indeed. Well, thank you so much. I really hope that you don't take seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years for the next one and that we can see it soon. Yes, I am. Um, one of the reasons uh, I was a space cadet this morning is I was I was in the zone. I was doing some writing, so mm-hmm. I'm close to done on um, what might be a final draft for my next feature. I'm very excited about it, and the plan is to do it. Yes, in 
I would love to do it in seven months instead of seven years, right? And <laughs> so, so we'll see. You know, we'll see what life what life presents. But yes, I'm I'm actively working on another film right now. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so very much, and I am just delighted to be able to spread the gospel about this film to as many people as I can. So, yes. Wish you good luck at Fantasia and yes. moving forward. Um, we'll hope to see you next time you ride the omnibus. I yes. <laughs> yeah, I would love to. Yes. Well, thank you. It's been really fun to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for sitting with us. Thank you for listening, and thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter where we are at Omnibus Ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.